a young perspective on hot-button issues around the world. This is The Hub. Hello and welcome to the program. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. On this day last year, the last U.S. troops pulled out of Afghanistan post-hasty, abandoning it to chaos and crisis after two decades of occupation. One year on, how do the Afghans judge America's so-called war on terror? Will the quote-unquote graveyard of empires also be a graveyard for President Joe Biden's election ambitions in November? And most importantly, how can Afghanistan be rebuilt by Afghans for Afghans? To look at Afghanistan after a year of sweeping changes, Hamza Momam Hakimi joins me from Kabul, Afghanistan. He's professor of law and political science at Kabul Salam University. And also in Beijing, we have Wang Li, professor of international relations and diplomacy at the School of International and Public Affairs at Jilin University in Northeast China. Uh, welcome, gentlemen, to the program. Let me start with you, Professor Hakimi, if I may. After two decades of the United States' so-called war on terror and occupation of Afghanistan, the China Global Television Network think tank and the Chinese Institute of Public Opinion at Renmin University did a survey on Afghanistan. Uh, it covered 24 countries, including Afghanistan. I want to show you a bit of the results here. Over 78% of the Afghan residents, respondents rather, said overthrowing the government of a sovereign country under such a pretext was quote-unquote completely wrong. Um, why do you think is the American war so negatively perceived even when Washington self-justifies it? I think, uh, first of all, it is related to the nature of Afghanistan people. The Afghan people has always been against the occupation as any other nation of the world and uh, in, in, in the other side we totally see that the american history for the past one and a half century they uh, or over fast one century they have lived through interventions into occupations of the other countries no matter what reason or what cause they show up for that but it's the nature of the cowboy american uh, nature that they occupy the other people's country uh, the so-called war on terror was just a reason on a paper used uh, for occupation of Afghanistan. What they call the, ter the terrorist groups that, that they, they were in Afghanistan, uh, the people who attacked America on 9-11, they were not connected to Afghanistan anyhow. They, are, they were not Afghans, they were from other countries. And yet the American uh, regime, the American government, did not present any piece of uh, uh, evidence that shows or proves uh, that they are engaged in that, uh, the groups that they are claiming that they were engaged in 9-11 uh, incidents, they were actually engaged. And uh, most amazingly, none of the American courts yet decided that it was Al-Qaeda uh, precisely that who attacked 9-11. Before any court decision, before anything is within the hours after the 9-11 incident, American president, uh, president uh, announced that it is a terrorist attack and the Al-Qaeda group is the behind these attacks and Afghanistan is responsible for that. And within uh, 24 hours they have announced that they are going to attack an, uh, a sovereign uh, country which was Afghanistan. Uh, um, the leadership of Taliban at that time, leadership of the Afghanistan government at that time announced that they are ready to negotiate with the Americans on terms of how they could solve this, this problem. They have presented uh, many options of uh, uh, bringing uh, those who are responsible for 9-11 to justice in a court in Afghanistan or an international court or, or any midway uh, to avoid the war. But the Americans wanted the war and wanted the occupation anyway yeah. and anyhow. War on terror was just was just a, a, a title they have used 
They attacked Iraq anyway two or three years after Afghanistan. There was no war in terror. Just a lie was there, weapon of mass destruction. They've killed millions of Iraqis. And after 20 years, Tony Blair came out to the media and said that, I'm sorry, we were wrong. We, we did a mistake. I mean, there's and so much Western propaganda. Of millions of Iraqis um, paid for their mistake. How much Western elites used to use this word propaganda onto other nations, mostly its rivals and adversaries? Professor Wang Li, let me bring you in this conversation. How do you think America's so-called war on terror changed Afghanistan? As an academic person, I want to say that the war was initiated, started by America, no doubt. But at the beginning, America was sympathy after the attack 911. America was did sympathized and even supported by the majority of the world, including China and Russia. However, that doesn't mean that China or the world supported America to invade our sovereign country by force to top a government. Actually, after American topped the government, Americans set up a new regime, which was very pro-America and Western countries. However, America never put enough or even limited support to the infrastructure. No people's interests, no economic re rebuilding, just uh, from the geopolitical interest to contain the neighbors who are major powers. In this case, to answer the question, how did American change the world? We can summarize into three perspectives. Nationally, American totally destroyed our country, our sovereign country. Second, um, Economic, socially speaking, Americans never pay attention to the common people, particularly the people in the countryside. The third is that internationally, Americans never promoted Afghanistan to be a real sovereign independent country in the world community. Thank you for those insights. Uh, and also, when you look at Afghanistan, there are so many angles to look at it. Uh, when the U.S. occupied Afghanistan, a promise to make the country stable, strong and prosperous. But here's a set of data that I want to show both of you. A whopping 79% of Afghan respondents say the U.S. has not kept its promise. Afghans saying this, not China, not Russia. Professor Hakimi, let me turn back to you. President Joe Biden even distanced the U.S. from the assurance given by his predecessors, saying you know, nation building was never an option, was never supposed to America's mission in Afghanistan. What does it mean for Washington's credibility and policy continuity when you look at um, you know, the war on terror past 20 years? Actually, what uh, Mr. Biden said uh, is true. What their uh, ex-president said, that were wrong. The Americans uh, tried to uh, westernize Afghanistan with all the means they got. They have spent billions and hundreds of billions of dollars on media only to westernize Afghanistan, to change the norms in Afghanistan people, to change the mentality of Afghan people. That's what they did. They tried for the last 20 years. But the biggest failure for the Americans in Afghanistan was their understanding of the Afghan mentality. They failed to understand how Afghans think and how Afghans deal with those who want to change their norms, those who want to change their culture. This is the biggest failure of the uh, Americans in Afghanistan. They did want to uh, change Afghanistan, but not according to the norms of Afghanistan, but not according to what was good for Afghanistan. They wanted to change Afghanistan according to their own benefits. They wanted Afghanistan to turn into a colony that will remain under the Western or American influence even after they 
leave Afghanistan even even after they 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 don't don't exist in Afghanistan anymore. They wanted to be the Afghan nation, a representative of American in the region. They wanted to separate between the Afghan nation and their neighbors in their regional countries and their uh, uh, cultural hack of Afghanistan, if, if if the expression is correct to use. Afghans are an integral part of this region in this place, in, in this area. We have relations with our neighbors, with, with our, the countries of the region. We have a 5,000 years history of culture in, in this area. Americans wanted to change that. And when they failed on that, they said we never wanted to, to build a nation. Afghanistan was not a desert to build a nation in that. We, we, ha we have been a nation and we are a nation. We have a history long, long, long back than Americans. Uh, what Americans wanted to, to build in Afghanistan. No, they have destroyed a lot more than they have built. Statistics talk about very much about that very much. Only 16% of Afghan women was literate. 16% only. In 2021, I'm talking after 20 years of American existence and after the billions of dollars they have spent on what so-called women empowerment in Afghanistan. Only 15% of Afghanistan women had access to the media and internet that is under uh, Afghanistan under American occupation. And that is mainly because the Afghanistan nation and the Afghan people refused this process of, of, of Americanization or Westernization of Afghanistan. When it comes to a foreign occupation, Afghanistan people will and always will be resisting that occupation. And when it comes to changing the norms or Westernizing or Americanizing the Afghanistan, you would find the resistance harsher and harder from Afghanistan people. So what can I say is that Americans did fail, but what they did fail First of all, they fail in understanding Afghanistan and Afghan people, nature. And second, they did fail in Americanization and Westernization of Afghanistan people in Afghanistan society. Professor Wang Li, speaking from the perspective of a Chinese scholar, do you want to comment on what uh, Professor Hakimi just said? First, I fully agree with uh, my colleague from Afghanistan because he's native. He knows his country much better than outside. And as an academic person who studied in America for many years, I would like to say that, yes, it is American nature to change other country and even culture. America was, has been very successful over the past 200 years, no doubt. However, America never pay attention or even the minimum respect to the other cultures and the people. They don't care to destroy other country or culture, but they believe they have a capability to rebuild other country and culture. However, in according to their own image and the values. This is why American failed. American never pay attention to the local people needs and the history and the culture. They always want to change according to American image, so-called shared values. That doesn't matter. This is why America is very arrogant and very ignorant in foreign affairs. Yeah, I want to bring you more data from the CGT and think tank survey. Over half of the Afghan respondents said the economy in Afghanistan is a more, at a more difficult position right now. Afghans became poorer in 2021 when the U.S. pulled out compared to 2001 when the invasion began. Um, Professor Hakimi, what made Afghanistan's economy collapse under U.S. Um, you know, management and control? First of all, Americans uh, didn't have the plan to build an economy in Afghanistan. When it's planned for an economy of a nation to be built, there are certain indicators. For example, every economy has some infrastructures. 
let's have some examples. In Afghanistan, not a single highway has existed or, or, or survived for more than two years after the American reconstruction because they were, they, were, they were building those highways in a very poor quality that after one winter, in heart of, harsh Afghanistan's winter, it collapsed, it vanished, nothing remained here. Not one, now one uh, single large-scale manufacturer uh, area was built in Afghanistan in the past 20 years. Afghanistan's infrastructure for the uh, agriculture is zero. We uh, even w when we produce uh, Afghanistan agriculture, people when they produce fruits, we don't have the cold storage areas. Even one single cold storage in whole country, Afghanistan is an agricultural country. We don't have it in all over Afghanistan. Afghanistan is full of water. Our water is flooding down to Pakistan, Iran, and other neighboring countries without any use in Afghanistan. We are exporting uh, electricity from. Uh, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, and Iran, and all the neighboring countries, while Afghanistan has the potential to export uh, electricity to those uh, countries because we have a lot of uh, water in Afghanistan. Uh, uh, hydroelectric dams could be built in Afghanistan, but it was never built because Americans did not have the plan to build the, the economic infrastructure of Afghanistan. What the Americans planned is that they designed the Afghanistan government in the state like a dying patient in the uh, ICU ward of a uh, 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 of a hospital that the uh, Afghanistan state, nation, and the government should live on the American assistance, day by day American assistance. Uh, uh, do, 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 uh, this is a confirmed information from inside the army of Afghanistan that the Americans were giving fuel on weekly basis to the army of Afghanistan, weekly basis fuel. If they stopped fueling the uh, army tanks and uh, armored cars, it, they would have stopped after, stopped after one week. This is the American mentality with the uh, economy of Afghanistan. They, because they were sure that they are never uh, permanent in Afghanistan. They will, they will never be here. So they, they did not want to build anything. In Afghanistan, we still have some infrastructures and some buildings, some roads built by the Soviet Union when they invaded Afghanistan. But for the Americans, even their military bases, they have made it out of bags filled with sand. And when they were leaving Afghanistan, they were withdrawing, right. they even destroyed that sand bags. Uh, so that's the mentality, how they could build an economy of a country. Very thoughtful and very um, heart-wrenching and um, realities over there on the ground in Afghanistan. Thank you so much for articulating those ideas for our audience. It's very important. Uh, that's all the time we have for the moment. Professor Wang Li, I do apologize, but I do hope to get you back in our program later on. Now, our Afghanistan assessment continues after the break. Mary Ellen McGrorty is World Food Program's country director for Afghanistan. She described to me the ground situation from Kabul and the small but heartening progress that has been made. Focus, focus on what's relevant in China and the world. Bridge the, bridge the gap between what you know and what you want to know. This is The Hub. August 15th marked a critical anniversary. It is now over one year since the Taliban took over power in Afghanistan. With the fall of Kabul, the last bastion of the then government, after one year of the Taliban control, what does the progress report say? Can Afghanistan emerge from its new distinction as a hunger hotspot stocked by famine and malnutrition? I'm honored to be joined at this hour by Mary Ellen McGrorty, World Food Program's country director for Afghanistan. She's joining me from Kabul, Afghanistan. Uh, Ma'am, I mean, first of all, I wish I had words to express my gratitude and admiration for your work. Um, we know that you took office in Kabul in October 2020, right? 
Yes, I, I joined the team here in October 2020. And then the next year, the U.S. Uh, troops withdraw and the Taliban government um, took over and they regrouped and then took over. Uh, we saw the images of chaos over there. We all remember that. Somehow, many people left and you decided to stay behind. Why did you decide to do that? I work for the United Nations and, you know, and, and the role of the United Nations and we really, and I and my colleagues that were here with me, you know, felt the people of Afghanistan needed the United Nations to stand by them at that those particularly difficult days. And, and we didn't, we were not going to take down the blue flag of the UN in Afghanistan. Of course, you have been through so much. What were some of the more memorable or touching moments that you have experienced in the past year? Those of us who were here on the 15th of August last year are, are reflecting back and, you know, what can, well, what that day, I suppose it went so quickly, but it, it was momentous in the change that it brought. I, I suppose what I remember from that day is, is probably the quietness, you know, of the take, you know what I mean, in that respect, from what we were, you know, I mean, there was massive tra traffic jams down in Kabul, but at the same time, there was very few shots fired and how that how it happened so quickly, I suppose. Um, then over the last year, you know, as I've been out and about across Afghanistan, you know, people are adjusting to, to a fragile piece. It's, it's quite different, but they're also, it's, it's just the harsh economic reality and, and the humanitarian crisis now that, that, that's really, that really grips you and also the trauma that we're seeing in the people from, from how things are going in Afghanistan. And then in the past year, how would you describe your working relationship with the new government that is the Taliban regime? Yeah, with the de facto authorities, you know, from the very beginning after, after the 15th of August, because we already had a massive drought crisis in Afghanistan, you know, we were back uh, in operations on the 18th. And this, you know, we started talking to them as we need to do. I mean, everywhere we work as a World Food Programme, we, we talk to all sides so we can get humanitarian access. So over the year, you know, we've been working with them uh, to resolve issues when we have local issues, when we have provincial issues. And overall, we've been able to reach 20, the 34 provinces, bringing food assistance to over 20 million people. I mean, were there challenges or uh, stumbling blocks, uh, you know, troubles, difficulties uh, when it comes to you and your organization working with the de facto authorities there? Yeah, I mean, there are. I mean, there, 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 you know, when you do come up against, I mean, it's far from perfect. They, you know, they want to be involved in how we define who gets assistance and how we select people. But I mean, that's done independently. Uh, you know, they want to be present at when we're delivering assistance, but that's also done independently. You know, I have found with, you know, in my dialogue with them and the dialogue with the teams with them, if we explain, you know, clearly why, you know, what explain. You, you know, the purposes of the assistance, were, we're, we're able to make a breakthrough. But what would you say was the most difficult part when it comes to, one, a change of government happening when you were there, and two, uh, the very different government over there? For me, I suppose, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a different kind of an engagement um, with the de facto authorities. I mean, it's it's very focused engagement because you're going just on very specific points. I, I mean, I suppose over the last year, the thing that has been most difficult for me is, and, and you know, the scale of the humanitarian crisis, but also the issues around women and girls have been particularly heartbreaking uh, and difficult. Oh, well, why did you say that? 
Well, I'm a woman myself. Huh? To think that at 12 years of age, you cannot go to school if you're a girl, right? Because the, 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 the schools for girls, adolescent girls remain closed. The fact that you're a woman, that you that you cannot go to work or that you have to stay, you know, in your house and you can't go out unaccompanied, it's very, very difficult. You know, we still have our national female staff coming to work, but in many sectors, they're, they're not able to go to work. And many of these women are the breadwinners for their houses, for their household. And, you know, you know, after many decades of conflict, Afghanistan has a huge number of widows, young widows, old widows, men who've been lost in the conflict. They're the only breadwinner for their for their household, and it's been, it's very difficult for them. Uh, let's talk about um, food, which is of ultimate importance <laughs> to people over there in Afghanistan, according to uh, latest hunger hotspots reported by your organization, the World Food Program and the World Food and Agricultural Organization. In the past, three more countries faced immediate risk of starvation or death. Um, to start with, there was Ethiopia and then South Sudan and Yemen. Now two more countries have been added to this list, unfortunately, Somalia and Afghanistan. Um, what does it mean for Afghanistan to be added to the list? What did you see on the ground? It underscores the unprecedented levels of hunger that we're seeing in Afghanistan and the really at high risk levels that they're just on the brink of famine like conditions. In the latest assessment that we released um, back in, in May, in Gore province, you know, we had two districts that fell into what we call phase five you know, 20,000 people. And, you know, just underscoring that, that, that really the situation in Afghanistan is extremely fragile. People, households have exhausted all mechanisms that they have to be able to feed themselves. What it means Can you give us a sense of the hunger situation there out of the population in Afghanistan? Uh, how many of them are, you know, are hungry? 18.9 million people, Wong. That's almost 50% of the population. It's phenomenal. And, and 6 million of within that it are one step away from what we call famine-like conditions. That means practically is that on a daily basis, at least once a day, they cannot get an adequate meal to be able to feed themselves and their family. Let's talk about your work. Um, what are you doing to ensure that um, the food and necessities are delivered to those in need as soon as possible and as much as possible? Yeah, we, we have scaled up uh, over the last year. We have reached over 20 million people in 2022. We have over 2,000 distribution points across the country. We work with over 90 partners. Every single day, we have about 350 trucks moving across the country. We also provide cash to people. We provide vouchers. And as well as the emergency support, we're also focusing on programs that change lives. You know, we need to be able to help households and communities to be able to fend for themselves. You know, we need to help the people of Afghanistan create a functioning economy, whether it's in agriculture, whether it's in, in, in other businesses, so that the jobs can come back and that we reduce the humanitarian needs. Uh, I want to talk about, you know, the many crises facing us. For example, when Mariana Franco, head of the EU Civil Protection and Humanitarian Aid, visited Afghanistan, she said, we need to keep the attention on Afghanistan. Um, you know, despite what's happening around the world, uh, there's, of course, this war in Ukraine and a crisis in Sri Lanka. But do you think uh, international 
global media uh, lens uh, headlights and uh, attention have been turning away from Afghanistan. And do you fear that donors would switch their attention to these, you know, countries with emerging crises? Yeah, I mean, of course, it's a worry. I was I was just home in Ireland recently for a, for a couple of weeks on leave, and and just hearing from that, you know, the cost of living crisis that's impacting everywhere because of what's going on. And I, yeah, of course, I'm very concerned on the on the funding situation. But I, you know, my plea always is is to please, you know, in our, in our world of such wealth you know, our world of such wealth, we surely must have a, a, a enough to go around to help those that are much, much less fortunate than most of us. Yeah, we know that you have been going to remote areas in Afghanistan to provide food to men, women and children and <laughs> save lives. Uh, how are they surviving? I mean, uh, can you give us some you know, stories that you've encountered along the way? Uh, what was some of the more memorable ones? Yeah, I, I mean, I was be a couple of months ago. I actually got up to the Wahan Corridor, which is right up on the up in the north. I, I guess what struck me from there was even in that remote area, like that, the economic crisis had an impact. COVID had an impact. The decades of conflict, and you know, I mean, the drought. But what they were, what 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 was really traumatic and to understand was also, you know, for the women, many of them who were teachers and all that couldn't couldn't go to work, who were the heads of their own households, you know, it's it's it is amazing to go out and and it's really much thanks to the the generosity of our incredible donors and people to be thanking you for the assistance and you know yeah that's but at the end of the day you know you want to be able to give them something more that they don't need you and that's what they were asking for you know they say thank you for helping us through the winter but now help us to have something more and sustaining that we're able we're able to feed ourselves I suppose that, you know, so we are doing some of those projects and when you go to a farmer and you see and he's telling you about now that you've helped him get, you know, to be able to irrigate his field and he's able to grow wheat and he's able to grow crops for his family. And I mean, that that for me is it's what's memorable. But I think for this year and what I've seen over this year, I think what sticks with me is is, is the trauma of, of just the crisis and, and, and the trauma of just, particularly for women mm -hmm. and girls that's happening in Afghanistan. You know, when it comes to logistics and supply of food, um, is China involved in any ways? Are you working with the Chinese authorities or food providers uh, in any ways? I know some of my recent fleet of trucks came from China, <laughs> so they did. The, the addition to, to they did, and I do. Yeah, we do. We do discuss with 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 your government in terms in terms of support, um, support to our operations here in Afghanistan. Mary Ellen McCurdy, World Food Programs Country Director for Afghanistan. Kudos to your work. All my respect, and thank, thank you. you so much for joining thank us on the Hub on CGTN. Thank you. Thank you. And that's all we have for this edition of The Hub on CGTN. Thank you for joining us. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. Our news coverage continues. Bye and take care.